welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Mrs. Claus. Aww. Yeah. Happy holidays to ya. <laughs> and our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Taste Sequetman territory within the unceded traditional land of Sequetmulu. And Joe, no territorial acknowledgement this week because we're doing a short story collection mm-hmm. that's set like all over the place and in some fantasy realms. So yes. <laughs> I did I decided not to just arbitrarily choose a territory because I'm not sure that's really what we're trying no. to achieve with no. our territorial acknowledgements. Um But yeah, so we read My True Love Gave to Me for this week, which is 12 YA holiday-themed stories for our Christmas episode. And um, I have been meaning to read this for ages. I think it came out in like 2019 or 2020. Okay. It's been on my list basically as long as we've been making this show, I think. And uh, I've just never gotten around to it. And... I was a little underwhelmed by it once <laughs> Once I did, unfortunately. Like, there's some great stories here, and we're going to focus on the stories we enjoyed, I think, today. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, Joe, I don't know if it's because, like, not to break the magic for listeners, but we're, we're recording this in the middle of November, and maybe I'm just not in the Christmas spirit yet, but mm. it, didn't, it didn't grab me the way I hoped. Yeah, uh, we talked about this offline, and I'm actually in agreement with you. I don't think that it's, oh, you're not reading this in December with the Christmas tree up and all the presents and all the lights and all the other stuff. I think that we've got a heavy hit list of great authors, but none of these people are known for their brevity, right? Like, we're Mm -hmm. used to reading full novels from these folks. Chonky novels, too, for the most part. Like, these are chonky chonky people. (laughs) They tend to write a thick novel. And I feel like in this case, some of them are struggling with the form. It's hard to tell a good, compelling story when you don't have 300, 350, 400 pages. Yeah, it's really true. And I think I was looking for the kind of magic that we've had with maybe some of our Dash and Lily Christmas episodes. Mm -hmm. Or even, you know, we did that, that... let it snow yeah like those were uneven but they still captivated me and i read that in one sitting whereas this like i was looking at my kobo stats for this book and i literally never read it for more than 10 minutes at a time so you know something was not uh something was not grabbing me Mm mm-hmm I realize that it makes sense to say, ooh, it's 12 stories because it makes sense given the holiday theme, but I couldn't help but wonder if this would have been more successful with six or eight stories that were Mm. a little bit longer and a little bit more substantial. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I did feel at some points like I was like, oh, wow, all all this book's going to just keep on going, huh? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think by the time I got to story seven or eight, I was just like, oh, how many more do I have left? Which is interesting, Joe, because your favorites are, they wait towards the end of the book. We have Mm. one favorite in common, and then your favorites really wait to the end, and my favorites kind of wait to the beginning. So that's interesting, too. Okay, so I do have a weird confession to make. You know how you're like often experimenting with how best to do the show? Do you read the book first? Do you watch the TV show or movie second or vice versa? Yeah. 
So I told you that I had been able to get a hold of this book, and it turns out I had actually downloaded the audio book. Oh, wow. And I could not get my hands on a physical copy until later. So I struggled with the audiobook portion that I uh, listened to. It's not your favorite form, I know. It's just not my favorite form. I find I don't retain any of the information very well. So I did have a lot of issues with the early stories. I should note, I think it's a me problem, not an audiobook issue. The book has a variety of different narrators. And I was some of them ask are better than others mm. but like there were a couple of stories in the beginning like we're going to talk about rainbow rowels mm -hmm. uh but there there was uh the one with the guy who's cat sitting in new york for his boss and he ends up hooking up with the girl who lives below or above him yeah and i didn't mind that story but i think it really helped that the narrator had a very pleasant voice to listen to one of the few mm. male readers as well it does have a big impact right like i mean mm -hmm. just like if you're reading an illustrated book, you can't ignore what the illustrations are doing. If you're listening yeah. to a book, you can't ignore what the narrator is doing. So, <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we kind of go back and forth with our favorite stories and we'll we'll save our shared favorite for last, maybe? Sure. Um, and then we are, because it's us, we are going to talk about the stories that didn't work for us. But we're not going to dwell there because it yes. is Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Okay. So, Brenna, kick it off. Okay, so I really like the Stephanie Perkins story, It's a Yuletide Miracle, Charlie Brown. Mm -hmm. I am, as you know, Joe, a sucker for young people in difficult family situations. I'm a sucker for good chemistry. I'm a sucker for like sort of experience, culture, life experience clashes. And this is a story about a girl who is uh, sort of in a transitional phase she and her mom are living out of boxes with all mm -hmm. their stuff crammed into a way too small apartment because of the dissolution of her parents marriage and uh she goes looking for the guy at the christmas tree farm whose mm -hmm. voice she likes for this animated movie she's trying to make it's such a weird plot point <laughs> like it does come back at the end but it also feels kind of unnecessary for large portions of the story it was so funny I mean, it really is. Um, but there's something very sweet about the chemistry. Basically, what happens is she buys like a tragic Christmas tree, which he gives her for very little money. And then he's like, where's your car? And she's like, oh, I don't have a car. Mm -hmm. And so he like walks her Christmas tree home for her. He gets there, finds out the family is kind of living like he thinks they're hoarders at first, but really it's just that they don't have anywhere to put their stuff. Yeah. It's not even like, oh, we haven't unpacked since we no. moved here. It's literally everything they own in boxes everywhere to the point that they can barely see natural light. Yes. And so he reorganizes the space for them, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's really sweet because they obviously fall in love over the course of him, like, uneffing her apartment. Yep. And... um yeah, I just, I think the way they both subvert each other's expectations, that's a point that I always really enjoy. And the notion of people feeling really constrained by the situations that they're born into also mm -hmm. is something I find compelling. So yeah, I like that one. Yeah, no, I also like this one. It has one of those 
all-in-one night feels where Mm -hmm. you can sense the chemistry developing. There's a good amount of rapport between the two characters. There's a bit of a slight comedy bit where the neighbor is just constantly harassing them for making too much noise, even though they're making zero noise at all. (laughs) Everybody's had that neighbor. Yeah. And then the short story ends after they have a kiss and there's a promise that, you know, the relationship will continue, but you've gotten everything that you need from them right now. And then Mm -hmm. we put a pin in it. It was fun because Stephanie Perkins is the editor of this collection. She's also the writer of one of our most recent horror flicks this October. And Mm -hmm. it was neat to see her writing a different kind of prose than we've had before. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked about how readable she was when we discussed uh, There's Someone Inside Your House. And it is interesting to see how seamlessly she is on this side of the more traditional kind of rom-com vibe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so what's your first pick? Okay, so my first pick is Krampusloff by Holly Black. And this is, I'm, I'm looking at the story right now, and it's written in first person narrator. So I don't know what the character's actual name is. Mm-hmm. But it's a teenage girl. She's got two best friends, one of whom is being cheated on. So the story begins as they go to a Krampus run in their small town. And it's all with the purpose of essentially catching this boy cheating on one of the girls. And they end up making a lie to try to catch him further by proposing to have a Christmas New Year's rager party at a trailer park that the main character's dead grandmother owned. So the rest of the story is them decking out this trailer, the main character kind of feeling her feels because she felt a strong connection to the kitschy, old-fashioned retro vibes that grandma had, and then what happens at the party. And what I really enjoyed about this one is how it starts very grounded, you know, it's very much steeped in reality. And by the end of the story, the boy that our main character has met at the Krampus run is revealed to be Krampus and he turns the cheating boy and a couple of other people into a donkey and other things like it becomes very fantastical and magical but there's no rocky transition between the two it again feels very seamless and I was just a big fan of how I did not expect this ending but it felt wholly appropriate I was really surprised by this one because of the two of us, I think I tend to be the more skeptical reader, Mm -hmm. but this worked for me 100%. I really enjoyed it. And I think for me, the dynamic I liked the best is that the backdrop is this kind of town and gown divide. There's like this Mm -hmm. very fancy private high school in their small town. And so like the boyfriend and a lot of the dickhead characters are Mm -hmm. from this fancy private school. Yes. And our protagonists are the townies. And so that that divide between them, I thought was just well done. And it's a it's a trope I always enjoy. Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, the descriptions of what they managed to accomplish with the trailer park, the evening does take on this sense of magic, right? Yes. Like it, it very much felt like a party I would enjoy going to. And the shenanigans felt amusing but also realistic but also heightened and i just thought the the mix was so well balanced in this particular story yes i totally agree i yeah i was surprised when i got to the kind of i guess it's not even really a twist because you're right it balances out so well um but i was like i actually sat back and was like "Hmm, Hmm. i'm surprised how much i like that 
<laughs> yeah, it feels like the kind of story that shouldn't work. Like, even as I was describing it, it sounded ridiculous. But when you read it, it totally fits. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Okay, so what's your next one? So my next choice, I mean, it's like so stereotypical, Brenna, but it's the Rainbow Rowell story. story. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Midnight. And I liked this one because it's not set at Christmas. It's set mm -hmm. at New Year's. Yep. The story has a really nice form. It starts at New Year's Eve in sort of the present year, and then it goes mm -hmm. back to the five previous New Year's Eves, and it's yes. tracing a relationship between the narrator and this one boy. Mm -hmm. I liked that sort of playful timeline. It really worked for me. But the thing I really liked is there is a very particular feeling of the mm -hmm. first Christmas home for a friend group yep. once everybody's gone to university. Like, on the one hand, you're happy to see everybody. And on the other hand, it's like super awkward. I was very much like the narrator. I was the person who stayed at home. So like seeing all the people who are back from away, you know, feeling mm -hmm. like they've probably outgrown you. Like all of that sort of awkwardness and the kind of like tension but joyfulness like i think rainbow rowell evokes that really really well here mm -hmm. and you know i'm yeah, i'm a sucker for a slow burn romance so getting to see these two who are like quote-unquote best friends almost yeah. kiss at new year's five years in a row <laughs> before it finally happens and then there's this great twist which is that um the narrator is always protecting this boy from eating foods that he's allergic to because mm -hmm. he's like really bad at keeping himself alive yes. and when they finally do kiss she's she's been eating peanuts so he mm -hmm. has an allergic reaction to her kiss not a life-threatening <laughs> one everybody that's why i'm laughing yeah. um i thought it was really sweet and playful and uh this one did put me in a kind of holiday spirit like it really sort of got me thinking about you know teenage new years of times past yeah yeah this feels deeply nostalgic and oh, yeah. i think part of the reason that you and i both like this one is because megs the main character does feel a lot like how i imagine you and i were back <laughs> yeah. in high school or those early years of university where we have a quiet confidence in ourselves but we're really really bad at projecting it we won't uh -huh. advocate for ourselves like the story is deeply frustrating because <laughs> noel he obviously has wanted to kiss her for five years <laughs> well so he says but then every time we get to the countdown for new year's he kisses some random other person and, and often it's just like some girl will walk up to him and be like, hey, the countdown, and they just kiss while Meg stands there going, I guess not this year. Yeah. And you're like, Meg's baby, sweetie, you have got to say something. But also Noel is a bit of a coward for yeah. not acting on it himself. I mean, I think that's why the romance works is because you know that they're going to be good for each other and they just keep dancing around. But yeah, I mean, this evolution where they have a banter, they have a witty repartee about, oh, she saved his life the first year. And she's like, no, I didn't. And why are you always dancing on tables? Like, there's a lived in quality to these characters that makes them deeply relatable. Yes, 100% agree. This is sort of classic Rainbow Rowell to me. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and I also really appreciated, as in a lot of Rainbow Rowell, we've got some gentle sort of body positivity stuff going mm -hmm. on. Megs is, mm -hmm. Megs is fat and she sort of enjoys being in her own body in a way that is really refreshing, especially when you contrast it with 
the David Levison story, which we don't even have in our notes here, Joe, but like, can no. that guy write a story without fat phobia? Is he even nope. like capable mm-hmm. of it? How many of his books have we read where we've been like, David, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> David, how how hard would it be for you to just maybe consult with somebody? Yeah, exactly. Or, or don't write these characters. Yes. Yes. Don't please just stop until you've maybe met and spoken to a fat person. Like, ideally. <laughs> anyway. Um, so that was my number two. Yes, uh, I agree. Midnight's great story. So one of my other favorites is the very last story in the collection. It's called The Girl Who Broke the Dreamer by Lainey Taylor. Mm -hmm. And this one read to me as the most mature, and it also felt like the most different story of the batch. A lot of them are more contemporary. They're set in either a city or a kind of hallmarky small town. A lot of them do deal with class differences, and this one has all of those feels to it, but to me, the gravity and the scope were so, so, so much bigger. Yeah, I agree with you totally. You put in the notes that it felt more mature, and I uh, 100% agree. So the other weird thing about this one is that it does have a foot in fantasy because we're dealing with a woman, uh, Neve, and she is... I mean, her backstory is absolutely terrible. She was basically brought along as an indentured worker to this Isle of Feathers. Mm -hmm. And it's a very crappy island. Like, basically, your job prospects are to either marry, die, or... Nope, that's about it. (laughs) And uh, so she had always planned on living with the twins, these two boys that were brought with her like a a bunch of people who were brought to the island to work as laborers and she had always planned to live with them in their own like cheap little crappy house she thought about having kids but never really imagined it for herself like it was too big a dream to try to go forward with and then the twins die and she's by herself and everything just looks really grim like the story opens and you almost think that she could be suicidal and it's Christmas time, so the island has a very unique tradition where if men want to propose marriage to a woman, they will woo them according to a 24-day advent calendar. So you get a gift on your front porch every day, and then the suitor reveals himself at the big Christmas party, which is usually the final day of the advent, and you get a ring. And Neve happens to be courted by the richest man in town, the preacher, who is also horrible. He's already buried three wives, and he is misogynistic, he's cruel, he's very rich, but he doesn't share the wealth. Uh, he's He kind of sounds like a bad religious figure as well. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm taking far too long. Basically, she wishes for something better for herself, and she awakens the dreamer, which is a mythological god that the town has been built over, and he starts to make her things because he creates, like, that's what these gods did, and he ends up wooing her with these fantastical presents throughout the month, and then he turns her into something not quite human, not quite god by the end of the story, And she escapes from this entire life on this island. And it's gorgeous, Brenna. Yes, I agree. And, you know, I think I was surprised that you enjoyed this so much, 
that's not the right word. <laughs> no, I'm going to keep because... that in. So now you just have to explain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because Lainey Taylor has this uh, series of books called The Daughter of Smoke and Bone. Okay. Trilogy. I really loved it. And I'm sort of shocked that it's never had an adaptation and we've never had reason to cover it on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all about sort of like, I don't know. It's There's like, the first one starts with this art student in Prague who she ends up like caught in this war between the demons and the angels okay and it totally sounds like something that i would be like yeah uh, absolutely not but i yeah, that doesn't sound your bag at all <laughs> no but the character development is so very good and the world building is really uh persuasive and you don't have to kind of like i don't know well there's no walking for one thing <laughs> um brenna Uh, And Lainey Taylor also has like a a book called Strange the Dreamer. And I think that these stories, which I I must confess, I haven't read Strange the Dreamer, but I think that this story is very much located in like the universe of these other Uh, books. Um, And so it's interesting because when I was reading it, I was like, it's been a long time since I've read the trilogy. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I feel like this is connected. Like, I feel like there are Easter eggs here for someone who is really familiar with Lainey Taylor's work. Right. And I was wondering how it would work for you as somebody who hadn't read it. But I think what we have here is evidence of, like, this is what knowing the world you've built really, really Mm -hmm. well, inside and backwards, becomes. Because the whole universe was persuasive to me in a way that some of the short stories that are taking place in, like, contemporary, like – New York don't work as well somehow. Oh, there is a sense of placelessness to so many of these stories, despite the fact that we have very, very specific geographies in most mm-hmm. of these stories. And it's wild to me. It is wild. And and I think, you know, this is the sign of like a very skilled mm-hmm. writer who understands her universe really well. Yes. And I think that's why this story works in a way like so many of the others. Um where they try to, I'm thinking particularly of the Jenny Han North Pole story. Oh boy. Where they just don't, right? No. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is fantasy done exceedingly well, but not even like, oh, if you don't like fantasy, you're going to be turned off by it. Because Mm-mm. I think the character, the interior voice is so rich, almost to the point where when we would switch uh, the focus, because you do actually get to hear the dreamer's perspective, I... I didn't want to read that. I got there in the end, but I really preferred to stay with Neve and just experience mm-hmm. things from her because she was so rich and detailed. You really would like Daughter of Smoke and Bone, the first book, because I think mm. if you like this protagonist, you'd really love Karu, who's the protagonist of that story. Okay, good recommendation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have the same third story, and mm-hmm. this is one that really understands place. Yes. And so this is Welcome to Christmas, California by Kirsten White. And I have to say, Kirsten White's one of the few writers in the collection who I don't have prior knowledge of, never read anything by her as far as I know. So this story takes place in the town of Christmas, California, which is a nothing town Mm -hmm. that is trying to kind of get tourism on the back of being called Christmas, California. Um, yeah. And our protagonist works in a terrible Christmas-themed diner that honestly, Joe, the descriptions <laughs> of the interior oh, made me gosh. feel so itchy. Like, yep. <laughs> I can't handle, like, you know when you go in, like, one of those used bookstores where there's just, like, piles of books, like, on the floor and, like, mm-hmm. nothing's organized? It gave me those vibes. They're not positive vibes for me. No. 
And she just wants to get out. She just mm-hmm. wants to get away. She thinks that – so she lives with her mom and her stepdad in this duplex and she feels like her stepdad doesn't even want her there. She feels like her mom is just focused on paying their bills and nothing else. She's really, really sour on the whole world. Yep. Until this chef comes to work in the cafe and he's mm-hmm. kind of magical. Like he can predict what you need emotionally and nutritionally and make it for you. Mm-hmm. And the story just has a really nice arc for me, Joe. I love. Yes. There's a real recurrent theme in this series, actually, of like Christmas time being the moment when a teenager gets their head out of their butt. <laughs> I noticed that like in story after story, it's like, oh, actually, my life is not as sucky as I think it is. People are trying their best. That's like a recurrent theme. But I think this yeah. one does it the best. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing I did enjoy about the collection is how many of the stories acknowledge that Christmas is not always the happiest time of the year. Like it really Mm -hmm. reinforces that there's a sadness or if you've lost someone or Mm -hmm. I think it's a time of year where people feel like they have a bit more time to reflect or thinking about the start of a new year that follows the holiday. And Sometimes that means, oh, I'm still in this place where I don't want to be. And I think mm-hmm. Maria manages to capture that so well. But you're right, you know, classic teenager where thinks that all of these people have it out for her. Like Rick, the stepfather, she's like, oh, he never says anything. He has no connection to me. You know, because of him, we're stuck here. My mom never has time for me. And it's like they've been saving all of their money to send Maria to college mm-hmm. and the problem is, is that nobody spoke to one another, so they yes. don't understand <laughs> any of each other's problems. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. This one felt like a classic Christmas story, but set in a very unique place that had its own... I don't know. There there was something magical about this story, the way that Ben comes in. Like, I really thought he was going to be revealed to be an elf or a magical figure and i think that would have not served the story and it was kind of great that he was just like yeah it's just this weird thing where i could look at somebody and know what food is going to make them happy and it's kind of a lesson for maria right and like you just have to pay attention to the people in your world Mm -hmm. right like attend to them and think about them Mm mm-hmm Yeah, it's just it's a real charmer of a story to Mm -hmm. the point where by the time we got to the end of it and, you know, yeah, we've we've got a kiss and Maria is going to stick around for an extra year so she can make some money because they gave all the money to the really unfortunate pregnant character who needed to get away from her abusive husband. I was just like, this is tropey AF (laughs) and I am gently crying right now. Oh, I totally cried when the... When her mom reveals what they've been doing with the money and the ways Mm -hmm. in which Rick has actually been showing up for her, she just didn't know. Yeah, and we've not said it, but Maria and her mother are Mexican, and it turns out that Rick has quietly been learning how to speak Spanish. Oh my gosh, and he's so shy about finally using it. I definitely Mm -hmm. teared up. Love Uh, that whole scene. I think this one works really well. My only disappointment with this story, Joe, is that Mm -hmm. there was no recipe for the eggnog chocolate chip cookies at the end. Right? Yeah, the food (laughs) sounded so delicious. (laughs) I don't even like eggnog at all, but I want those cookies. (laughs) Yeah, so Welcome to Christmas, uh, California. Great story. And also perfect length. Like, this one felt just long enough, but not so long it was overstaying its welcome. Totally. 
which is more than I can say about the Fox story. <laughs> oh, the Fox story went on forever. It's just like, where are we going with this? Anyway, I put the anyway. book down five times during the Fox story. <laughs> like, no. no. Um, I do want to just do like a really quick roundup of the ones that didn't work for us. So sure. we already foreshadowed the Jenny Han story. This surprised oh, me, Joe. Boy. I am a Jenny Han lover, typically. Yeah. And I really don't understand why she felt the need to rewrite Elf, but worse, which is effectively what this story is. It's so bad. There's just, there's nothing to this. The character is kind of annoying, but not in a funny, endearing, ooh, they're going to learn a lesson kind of way. <laughs> it's about the human girl who lives at the North Pole. She falls in love with a boy when she gets dragged along on one of Santa's reconnaissance missions, but she also is making out with an elf that she's trying to impress. It's nonsense, and it's not interesting. It's not romantic. These characters don't pop in any way. Mm -mm. If you had have told me this was written by a first-time writer who doesn't know their stuff, I would have believed you. It was shocking. It's so not good. I She really phoned it in. That's all I can say about that. A hundred percent. She was like, I need to buy a new toilet. Uh, I'm cashing <laughs> this check. Like, even what are the rules of this world? Is the main character tiny? Are the elves giant? I don't understand yeah, no, no. how any of it works. Yeah, and I didn't get a sense of place or what no. the buildings were like or even what they do most of the time. It just, it has no personality. Yeah, I agree. So the other one that we didn't love, but we should note, it's it's not a horrible story because it does actually get there in the end, but I found this character so grating. So mm -hmm. we're talking about what the hell have you done, Sophie Roth? And this is about a Jewish girl from the big city who goes on scholarship to like a middle of America small town college. And she ends up befriending a black student that she mistakenly assumes is also there on scholarship. Oh, and Joe, even cringier. She mistakenly assumes he's there on a basketball scholarship. Yeah. And, mm. and that is actually very telling. Like, the character is purposely self-isolating because they think that they have made a complete mistake by coming here. And so every little comment they assume is a dig at them. She's honestly just kind of insufferable because mm -hmm. she is so narcissistic yes and it's hard for us as the reader because oftentimes it's very obvious that the person is just trying to find connection with her and she's yes. dismissing them and it's really hard to read it over and over and over and over again yeah and it just keeps happening like it does end up becoming one of those like oh as soon as i open my mind and let people in yeah. they prove themselves to be good people and like i like the fact that she's jewish and it's mm -hmm. a jewish person struggling at christmas time with a bunch of people who don't understand judaism and i wanted i think more of that because that was the yes. most interesting part of the story 100 percent. and apart from that it's just it's kind of conventional like she is befriended by this guy who's also a bit of an outsider. They basically have a magical all-in-one-night situation, and it seems like, oh, okay, things are going to get better because now we have each other. And you're like, cool, okay. It just, 
took too long to get there. It really, it really did. And then the last one I want to mention is Star of Bethlehem, which ended up being actually a fairly solid story. Mm -hmm. But there's a problem here that's emblematic of the collection as a whole, which like Stephanie Perkins needs to do some fact checking. So like... Brenna, the way that I just immediately noped out of this story, (laughs) even though you're right, yeah, like it it ends up being a solid story. But yeah, the idea that people don't get their IDs checked when they get on a plane was absolutely preposterous. It's the entire premise of the story is that two people can swap their plane tickets and go to each other's destination Mm -hmm. without their IDs being checked. And it's absurd. No. And there's a bunch of this. Like, there's a point in one of the first stories where they talk about the 12 days of Christmas as being the 12 days leading up to Christmas. And, like, it's a stupid minor thing. But, Mm -hmm. like... Where is Stephanie Perkins in the editorial process here or the press or like somebody? And it just, you know, Joe, we talk about this a lot on the show, like these kinds of YA, like this is obviously meant to be next to the cash register at chapters and Mm -hmm. you pick it up and put it in your teenager's stocking. And like, I get that, but um, these are good authors for the most part. We Mm -hmm. didn't love all these stories, but there's a lot here and there's just like a lack of care that often goes into these collections that bums me out. And so Uh I just wanted to flag that because it does, it totally wrecks the Star of Bethlehem story, which is otherwise quite okay. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about reading so many of these stories, because a lot of them are romantic, most of them are heterosexual, most Mm -hmm. of them are very traditional, like, rom-com material, where it's, you know, meet-cutes and first dates and that kind of stuff, it is very reflective of a Hallmark Christmas movie sensibility. And I don't say that in a bad way, because I actually really enjoy those, while also recognizing they're deeply problematic and... Mm -hmm you know, often very offensive to large portions of people. Mm -hmm. But you're right about the feel that some of this is so slight. It feels so phoned in. It is very much a, you recognize these people because your teen is probably reading some of their books. So cool. Yes. Throw it in the stocking or it's a cheap $12 gift and it'll occupy them over the Christmas holidays. But you and I have also proven over the course of the show that we can and should expect so much better because the quality and the diversity of writing is actually much better than this, even by these authors themselves. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, get this out of the library, read it under the Christmas tree. Sure. I think it'll give you what you want, but... Uh, it's not our favorite. <laughs> no, it, it bummed me out a little bit because I had been really excited for it. I'm really looking forward to it. Hmm. That said, Joe, Mm -hmm. this is our last episode before the holiday season. Truly. And um, I hope that you have a very nice one, Joe. Oh, thank you. And you as well. (laughs) Yeah. Listeners, we're going to take a bit of a breather. So we're going to take the holiday off and we're going to come back in the new year. Yeah, so no Boxing Day episode. Sorry about that. But when we come back in the new year, we've got some really fun stuff planned. We've got mm-hmm. Love Boat Taipei and the new adaptation from this year, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, 2023. <laughs> um, we're going to do a little bit of a Matthew Perry tribute and watch 17 again. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're finally getting that adaptation of Aristotle and Dante Discover the Universe. So there's lots of good stuff coming up, even if even if this collection was a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it worked for other people. Let us know if you got into the holiday spirit with this. 
Yeah, so you can get in touch with us on most socials at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Anything long form, of course, you can send to us by email, HKHSPod at gmail.com. Joe, where do they find you to send you their best Christmas wishes? Oh, that would be lovely. I can be reached at B still on my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And you know, whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or Solstice or something else entirely, a lovely gift to put under the tree for Joe and I would be a little <laughs> review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Just saying. Yeah, that would be lovely because we haven't gotten any in quite some time. It might be because we literally never mention it. Well, yeah, or we mentioned it in the last 30 seconds before we log off. But yeah, if yeah. folks, you have stuck with us this long and you have not done so, we would really deeply appreciate it because especially for small podcasts, uh, it kind of really is the only way we can get discovered. It's true. Anyway, in the meantime, happy holidays. Yeah. Merry New Year. I hope 2024 brings everybody something that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And um, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Yeah, and, and then the movie, sorry. Yeah, and then the book, or sorry. <laughs> oh, there's a sense of placeness. Oh, yeah, there's a sense of placelessness. Oh, my God. There is a sense of placelessness 